I'm sure many of us have been to national parks and enjoyed the glories that God has provided for us as a nation in our national parks. Most national parks have roads that go through them that you can drive and there's a lot of the sights of that park that you can see without even getting out of your car. However, there are also many sites in national parks that you can only see if you're willing to get out of your car and take a little bit of a hike. And some that you have to take more than a little hike, you have to take a long hike. And there's some treasures that are, that are there that you can't even see unless you're willing to go spelunking. Or, or cliff climbing. And so it is with the Bible. There's a lot which can be enjoyed in the Bible just by driving through, by reading it, and, uh, and you can enjoy it as you go. But you're also going to miss a lot of the Bible's most precious treasures if you're unwilling to take little journeys. And sometimes you will miss things if you're not willing to go spelunking into the word of God. You see, sometimes the way our God operates, he hides things. He hides treasures. He hides beautiful treasures. Think about it. Gold mines, you don't just find them laying out there on the, in the field. Think about diamond mines and ice caves and rocks with crystals inside. You know, you go to the museum and you see these things that they just look like rocks on the outside, but somebody cracked them open and inside they're glorious crystals. God hides beautiful treasures. He does in his creation. And so it shouldn't surprise us that he also does in his word. That's why it, it takes sometimes effort and work and willingness to go out of your way in order to enjoy the things God has given to us. And that's why, honestly, 2 Corinthians isn't one of Paul's most popular books, epistles. Because many of its treasures are found off-road. And I've come to see in my own experience that when you come to a part of the Bible which is not easy to understand on the surface, often you've come to a hidden treasure. God went to great lengths to give us Paul's letter which we call 2 Corinthians. He wrote at least four letters to the Corinthians, and we only have two. That means that there's at least two that have been lost. So why wasn't this one lost? Why wasn't 2 Corinthians one of the ones that somehow got lost and we, never, we don't have access to it? Well, it's because God wanted us to have it. Because God has things in it that he wants us to have and wants us to know. 
wants to communicate to us. The lost letters had those had things that the people of that time needed, the Corinthians needed, but which we don't need. In the providence of God, he has given us 2 Corinthians. And so we come again to 2 Corinthians. We're breaking today into the third chapter. We're going to be covering the first three verses. Let us read together. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. There are three things in this little passage that I'd like to point out and focus on and and learn from together this morning. The first one in verse 1, I just call Paul under attack. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation or recommendation to you or from you? In the ancient world, especially in the ancient world of, the, of Greece and Rome and the Jews, it was a common practice for men to carry letters of commendation with them as they traveled to foreign cities. These letters would be written by someone well known to the recipients, to the people that were being visited, commending the character of the person who's coming, saying, yes, this is a good and trustworthy fellow. You should uh, you know, be able to work with him, be willing to work with him and accept him and welcome him. We see this even in the epistles of the New Testament. In numerous places. For instance, in later in this very epistle, in 822, Paul says, With them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. So here he's commending someone to them that he is sending to Corinth. Presumably uh, one of the men he's working with, perhaps Titus. 1 Corinthians 16, he says, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me for I am expecting him with the brothers. So here he's commending Timothy to them. And then Romans 16.1 I commend to you our sister Phoebe a servant of the church of Centria. So Paul's constantly doing this and there's more examples than just this. So there is this established pattern of, of 
commending people with these letters. And they carry the letters and say, see, this person vouches for me. Because there are people traveling all over. They didn't have a, you couldn't Google them and find out if there were any bad reviews of their work or ministry. You know, word didn't get around very fast back then. And so it is that this existed. Well, apparently when these, the false apostles, which we've referred to these false apostles which came to Corinth, when they came, they carried with them letters of recommendation from some Christian leader somewhere. We don't know where. But of course, none of the apostles ever carried letters of recommendation. I'm sure many had letters of recommendation from the apostles. I'm sorry, I am dealing with allergies. How many people are just like, this is crazy, crazy. I go to a second cough drop. Hopefully that will sustain me. I'm going to have to uh, lower my voice because uh, I'm not going to make it through the sermon if I don't. Um, This year it's attacked me all in the throat and chest instead of usually in the... Okay. So these men apparently brought with them letters of recommendation. But the apostles didn't need that. They were the apostles of Jesus. They had Jesus' recommendation. So the apostles didn't need it. However, Paul wasn't exactly like the other apostles, as you know. He, had, he was an add-on as an apostle. He, wasn't, he didn't walk with Jesus for those three years. And so some questioned the authenticity of his apostleship because of the way that he had become an apostle. He was called when he was alone with Jesus, basically. And so they said, you know, he doesn't have any letters of recommendation like we do. And they used the fact, thanks, but I already have one, but I'll take that one too. They used the fact that Paul didn't carry around this kind of litter as a way to question the legitimacy of his ministry. And so throughout this letter, Paul is defending himself and defending his ministry against the charges of these super apostles, these people who called themselves super apostles, who had come to Corinth. Okay, so what lesson can we learn from this fact? Apart from Jesus, Paul is probably the most influential man in human history. It's likely that he was the greatest Christian who ever lived. He was worthy, therefore, of more honor and respect 
than any king who ever sat upon an earthly throne. And yet, he was constantly barraged with criticism. To say nothing of fists and whips and rods and stones. In light of this, why do we so easily feel sorry for ourselves? When we receive a little bit of criticism, have we forgotten that Jesus said we should expect opposition? Do we think we're better than Jesus or better than Paul and that we won't be opposed when they indeed were? Don't we deserve criticism much more than they did? And of course, we'll be criticized. Of course, Jesus didn't deserve any criticism at all. And yet it's so easy for us to squeal. Actually, it's not easy for me to even squeal right now. We see Paul's love in his statement that they are written on his heart, that, this le- that they are his letter of recommendation written on his heart. Now we're going to talk about what it means, this letter of recommendation. <coughs> but we can see the first thing is that he's expressing love for them. He's communicating love to these very people who have been attacking him. Their attitude toward him has been so bad that he had to write them this severe letter. But it didn't mean that he was angry with them. And in this letter we see over and over again how he assures them of his love. As he did a few chapters into the future where he writes so what lesson can we learn from this Christian people ought not to be quick to be offended and yet amazingly Christian people have, in my experience, an enormous ability to be offended and to justify taking offense. There is no justification for offense, for being offended. Just as there's no justification for lust or hate or pride There is no justification for being offended. Give ourselves permission to be offended because someone hasn't respected us. We give ourselves justification to not love that person. 
and there's no justification not to love someone. When Jesus said, love your enemies, it didn't have an exception for those who mistreat you or don't respect you. In fact, you know, Jesus said, that Jesus was called the friend of sinners. I think a lot of times Christians are good at being the friend of sinners as long as the sin isn't against me. But it's a whole other thing to, to say love your enemies because when you love your enemies that means that person has done something to you. Has insulted you or attacked you or disrespected you. that's the command of Jesus now of course when it comes to loving your enemies Paul had an advantage that we don't have Paul understood the undeserved love of God from very very personal experience Paul was an enemy of Christ and his people when the love of God broke into his life he was on a war path against the very people Christ loved the very kind of moment when you would expect lightning to strike him from the sky and the vengeance of God to fall upon him instead the redeeming love of God fell upon him So he understood who he was, that he was completely undeserving of the love of God. And that's the reason why sometimes it's hard for us to love people who offend us. Because we don't realize how undeserving we are of the love of God for us. And if we did, we'd be able to love the people who treat us in that kind of disrespectful way. Christ only calls us to show our enemies the same love that he showed us when we were his enemies. And now the third point. The third and final part. I'm sorry for this. I hate this more than you do. Trust me. The third part that I'd like to focus in on is this business of these letters of recommendation. Paul says in verse 2 to the Corinthians, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. So is Paul's legitimacy verified by some letter of recommendation that he carries with him from some well-known leader or church? No. Paul says 
his letter of recommendation, the thing which demonstrates the legitimacy of his ministry was the Corinthians themselves. Written on his heart and on the hearts of his fellow workers like Titus. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, he says. And then he adds one more detail. Because this is a strange way of speaking, right? So he adds one more detail here. And then next verse he adds a few more. But the letter, the, ne- the other detail he adds in verse 2 is to be known and read by all. So the Corinthians are a letter of recommendation to be known and read by all. And it's written on Paul's heart. Then verse 3, he further elaborates. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So he adds several details here to the metaphor. He says that they're a letter from Christ, written by the Holy Spirit. He says that the letter was delivered by Paul and his co-workers. And third, he says that the letter was written on human hearts. And here, he seems to be talking about that it was written on the human hearts of the Corinthians. Paul's point seems to be that the Spirit's work in the Corinthians, their transformed hearts and lives under the ministry of Paul, are the evidence and proof that his ministry is genuinely of the Lord. And that that fruit that they can, you can see from the lives of the Corinthian believers validate Paul as a faithful and sincere representative of Christ. So, what lesson can we learn from this? This is a beautiful picture of the gospel here and what Paul is talking about. He says, and remember he's talking about Corinthians. Corinth was the Sodom and Gomorrah of the New Testament. So here he's talking to these people who are coming out of a corrupt and sinful background and surely were corrupt, sinful people when they came to Christ. And he's saying that they have become epistles. They have become living testimonies of the the message of Christ and the, the validity of Paul's representing Christ. They are messes that have been turned into messages. The Holy Spirit, we can see in this, the Holy Spirit is writing letters from God to the world upon each one of his people. That we are the epistles 
of God to the world in some way. The world can see something and learn something about the power of God's grace by seeing the fruit of his powerful work in our lives. Our lives and hearts are there for the world to read. And when we bear a testimony to the power of God's grace by manifesting the fruits of the Spirit and living lives of hope and faith and love, then the world can see this and they know the only or the you know, the only explanation for this is that God is at work here because this isn't the way people are naturally. We are trophies of God's grace. We are testaments of God's power. And it is very true that for some folks, the only epistle they will ever read is you and me or me. But there are people who have no Christian input in their lives except for you. All they're going to see is God's work in you. God has made it so that his treasure is contained in vessels of clay, just clay pots. That's who we are. But when the clay pot has a treasure in it, it's completely different than it is just as a clay pot. And God has made it that we contain this treasure. And when, when we and people see the treasure in us, and if the Holy Spirit is at work in them, they are drawn to it. By the love, by the peace by the kindness, by the patience, by the generosity, by the hope that they see coming out of our lives. This is one of the primary ways, the primary kinds of evidence that the watching world has to see that Christ is real. To make them stop and ask What is the reason for the hope that's within you? As Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, and it gives us a chance to say, Jesus is my reason for hope. What great news this is for messes like me, like you, that God does this kind of work in people. We don't stop being clay pots. But nonetheless, we have the treasure that he's put in us. That we point to. We don't say, oh, look at me, I'm better clay than everybody else. No, we just have a better treasure. We have a treasure in this clay pot. We'll talk more about that when we get to chapter 4, where that passage is. Again, I apologize. I hope that in my weakness, Christ's power is made 
strong. Let's come to the Lord's table. Thank you, O Lord, that here we see that in all of our inadequacy, in all of our weakness, in all of our corruption, that your grace isn't put off or turned aside. But Lord, you see fit to take broken vessels and use them to glorify your grace so that people don't look at the vessels and say, wow, what graced vessels they are. But people say, wow, what a great God is at work here. And Lord, we thank you for your mercy and pray that your grace would be seen by all to be more powerful than our corruption, more powerful than our pride, more powerful than our lust, more powerful, O Lord, than our temptation to sin. We thank you now for the table of the Lord Jesus where we come and we repent and we remind ourselves that our sins have been covered. They have been paid for. That the Son of God came and bore the burden of our punishment so that we might be declared innocent, counted as sinless not because we are sinless but because Christ was sinless and is sinless and his righteousness counts for us put your blessing upon each one who partakes that we might enjoy sweet forgiveness and fellowship with Christ this morning We pray in his name. Amen.